Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to my Haunted Life podcast. I'm your host, Angela Hartshorn. And on today's podcast, we are going to the oldest bar in Seattle, and quite possibly the most haunted. Also, this is a graphic one. We are talking about some really brutal murders and hangings. So, um, yeah, this this is your trigger warning. It gets a little cringy later. Good morning, my spooky babes. How is everything going? Hope you are feeling great. I hope at least it's content because you deserve a good day. I cannot believe that there's only two more episodes left this season. Like, I, I like doing the seasons. I think it gives me a chance to catch my breath and it allows me to still put as much time into the episodes as I would like. I'm very slowly learning that it's okay to give myself breaks, even though it still freaks me out a bit. Not gonna lie. I hope it will give me (laughs) some time to work on the YouTube videos, which I keep getting subscribers for, and that's really freaking exciting. Oh my god. If that's any of you, thank you. Um, and yeah, let, let's be honest. I've, I have fallen way behind on those. Oh, my god. I, you think I was bad with the other postings? Jeez. I have been really good at when I visit a haunted location to immediately get the research done. Except, ironically, for the first fall episode. But at least I know what I'm doing. So, you know, that's new for once. And everything else should be pretty easy next year. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I don't feel like I'm constantly behind. There's a chance for a little side project this summer. But we'll see. I might just take the break. But we'll see. I, I, I'm a workaholic. We'll see what happens. It'll be a surprise for all of us. Um, and I think that's about it for housekeeping. I just... It's just really weird that we're coming to the end of this season. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. So that's cool. On this week's episode, we are going to the Merchant Cafe, Seattle's oldest bar, and possibly the most haunted. I honestly think it's probably up there. It's an awesome place, and I don't think I have been to a place that takes their hauntings so seriously and the documentation of hauntings so seriously. It's really cool. Like, the hauntings are embraced there. It's so much fun. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked, and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you.
For those that don't know, I love me a good old-fashioned dive bar. I freaking love it. I grew up going to some old dirty neighborhood bars, so they hold a very soft place in my heart, like lots of really good family memories kind of thing. That's how I felt waking up, walking up to the Merchant Cafe. So I went into the Merchant Cafe completely blind. I knew absolutely nothing about it. It does help that it says Seattle's oldest bar on the moniker when you get up there. But otherwise, I knew nothing. My husband planned a haunted birthday surprise for me. So we went to the Merchant Cafe and then he scheduled us a ghost tour around Seattle on Halloween weekend. He did all the research and he found the Merchant Cafe. And he did good. I'm a very lucky lady. The Merchant Cafe is one of those gritty old bars. It's old and run down. And it really reminds me of a lot of places in New Orleans. It just has that beat up feel to it that no matter what you do, no matter how much cleaning, anything, it, it's just gonna feel old and dirty. It's just, you know, the character. It's been there a while. Seen some stuff. It's that, that kind of a vibe. And I love it. The Merchant Cafe and Saloon is located at 109 Yesler Way in Seattle and is open daily from 11 a.m. to midnight or later. The bartender kind of made it seem it's at least midnight. It kind of depends on what's happening. The history of Seattle is fascinating. Seattle was literally the Wild West but with electricity. All of these rugged Victorian storefronts from any old west town, like the ones you, you've seen in every movie ever about the old west, but they have bright lights in their signs and magnificent chandeliers inside. It's, it's weird. Even though there were these modern conveniences, the area was still rough. Like, Seattle has some stuff going on. To give you an idea of how rough the area around the Merchant Cafe was, there's, there's this horribly, absolutely brutal story that I warned you about. Uh, so here's your trigger story, or trigger warning. I'm not sure of what exactly how horrible people are maybe but yeah this one uh this one gets dark in 1882 two men were suspected of murdering merchant george reynolds one night they were arraigned at 9 30 the next morning by 1 p.m., the judge decided that there was enough evidence to take the trial before a grand jury, but shortly after, a lynch mob had formed. They stormed the jail, overpowered the two police officers on duty, and dragged the man 
to Occidental Square, about 200 feet from where the Merchant Cafe now stands. The men were strung up like they were going to be hung, but instead of the rope being tied off to something stationary like they usually are, the end of the ropes were controlled by the crowd and the crowd continuously pulled the men up and down with the noose around their necks. I just say by the, the noose around their necks. Sometimes with enough force that their heads would smack into the beam. This carried on for probably way too long until the men strangled to death. Some estimates say it took them up to five minutes or more to die. So, um, goddamn. There's a witness sketch from one of the local papers about the incident. But immediately, you notice that there are actually three bodies hanging. They had this on the dead files. They had the picture of the men and they're showing the picture of the men. And I'm like, why are there three? And then they eventually get to it. After the first two men died, the mob went back to the jail, broke in, overpowered the sheriff that was now there and took out another man who had supposedly killed a local cop about a month earlier. The last thing he would have seen was the blue faces with their tongues hanging out of the other men and they had just gone through. So he, he had a pretty good idea what was going to happen to him and he was probably horrified. He said, well, up on the gallows, if you hang me, you are hanging an innocent man. The crowd didn't care and strung him up anyways and did the same horrible pulling up and down on his rope until he died. It turns out he might have actually been innocent. The officer he shot was a plain clothes it was in plain clothes when the officer chased this guy down an alley. I couldn't find out why he chased him down an alley, but he did. The guy thought he was a robber and shot him. Even as the cop was dying, he said the guy didn't know he was a cop. So it was basically self-defense. So, yeah, humans can be brutal. But... That's the vibe around this area. Just a sidebar, where the Merchant Cafe is now is still not a great area. Our, we told our bartender that we had walked there from our hotel and he was absolutely shocked. He told us we definitely shouldn't be walking back and if we needed him to, he would get us an Uber. If I remember right, it was 2nd Street, maybe 3rd? It was one of the, the numbers that should be avoided at all costs, especially at night. We mentioned this to our Uber driver as well, and he had the same 
reaction. Shocked. Like, everybody just knows to avoid that area, apparently. Also, Seattle is littered with missing person signs. Usually young women. Because human trafficking is insane out there. So yeah, Uber when you go to Seattle. Anyway, around 1888, the two-story wooden building was built by John Hall Sanderson, an early Seattle businessman and land developer, on the spot where the Merchant Cafe now is. It was burnt to the ground on June 6th, 1889 during the Great Seattle Fire, which burnt almost the entire commercial district, which is now downtown Seattle. So just imagine how much it was awful. Since most of the buildings at the time were made out of wood, the area was just leveled. In pictures of the aftermath, all that can be seen are smoldering piles of ash where businesses and residences once stood. It's really creepy looking, honestly. It looks more like a war zone after a bombing. It It's spooky. Shockingly, there was only one death. Sadly, it was that of a young boy. In the aftermath, however, one of the walls of the of a burnt-out building fell and killed a man. So there's two attributed. Sanderson commissioned the building to be rebuilt out of brick in 1890 and designed it specifically to hold a liquor store slash cafe on the bottom floor and a hotel on the top two floors. After the fire, the streets were elevated and the former main entrance became a underground lounge. So this is the thing. So this is where the Seattle underground comes in. It's that, that when they rebuilt it, they elevated all the streets. So some of these places still have like basements now. Sanderson sold it to, in 1892 to Charles or John Osner. Charles on the Merchant Cafe website and John on the Dead Files episode. I got really confused. <laughs> he renamed it the Merchant Exchange Saloon, which was established on the first floor, which is now the basement and part of the Seattle Underground, which, like Portland had a very intricate, quote-unquote, tunnel system. Although, I think Seattle's is way more built up. And I really hope to take a tour of the tunnels the next time we are there. Because just from the ground level, it was pretty, pretty cool. In the panic of 1893, Osner got desperate and turned the basement into an illegal card room. I'm always so amused that out of everything that was illegal at this time, cards. I just, I find that interesting. I'm not sure of the time period, 
but our bartender Michael also told us the story that at one point they hung two men outside the window. Like, I have pictures. Because they caught them cheating at Carge, which is now the front door of the bar. But at the time, the entrance to the building was still underground. There were ladders and stairs that you could take to from the street level sidewalks, which you know were higher, to get down into the underground to the entrance. It's so wild. Like, I can't wait. So and so then to get to the bar, you had to go underneath these bodies hanging in the window above you just to like let you know cheating's bad and they left them there for days i want to say he said two weeks but now i can't remember for sure and that seems like an awfully long time the upstairs that was a hotel began to accept hourly rentals and became a brothel. Ostner recognized how lucrative prostitution was in a town full of lonely lumberjacks and gold miners. And so he imported women, discreetly called seamstresses, into Seattle and housed them upstairs. In the saloon, there was a collection of framed pictures of these seamstresses discovered. It is believed that they were hanging in the back, kind of like a menu of sorts. And I've seen this in other Old West brothels. This is kind of a thing. As it is stated on the Merchant Cafe website, the gentleman pointed to the one he wanted to have, quote unquote, hem his trousers and then paid the proprietor before making his way upstairs to have his inseam taken in. I don't know what it is about that line, but it's so cringy. But it's, again, the vibe of this place. In 1898, after the gold rush, Osner sold part of the business to F.X. Schreiner, his wife, Mary, was definitely not approving of him now owning a gambling house and brothel. And she was a very religious, devout woman. I think Catholic, but don't, don't quote me. She died in 1905 of tuberculosis. FX was so grief-stricken that he went home to Germany for a time. He left the bar in the hands of bartender Otto Hink. Hink was a wrestler, so he's like a big built guy, somebody you did not want to mess with. He had a wife and kids in town, but frequented the brothel upstairs, eventually contact contracting contacting con getting syphilis of the brain and basically developed dementia at forty two. He was committed to multiple institutions and sanator sanitariums where he lived out his life 
until he was 79 years old in 1957. That's, what is that? 37 years in and out of institutions and sanitariums? Oh, man. The Merchant Cafe has definitely had some dark history. An interesting local legend states that the only photo ever taken of Chief Seattle was taken upstairs at the Merchant Cafe. I don't think that's the case, since the Merchant Cafe wasn't built until the late 1890s, and Chief Seattle died in 1866. But it shows the historical significance of the place. I saw this in a local news article actually interviewing our bartender, and no one batted an eye at him saying this. I, and it just amuses me. It's like it's the local paper, but nobody says anything. There's no, it's really interesting. I find it interesting. It's just, okay, that makes sense. I tried really hard to get Michael on for an interview, but sadly, it just didn't work out. How many people met their demise in the Merchant Cafe building may never actually be known. One thing we know for sure is that there are a whole lot of ghosts hanging around. One of the things that the Merchant Cafe does really well other than probably the best freaking bar food I have ever had. Seriously, you guys, I, dive bar, you think dive food? No, I was impressed. Anyways, uh, is that they document the paranormal happenings really well. If you ask any bartender there, they have a binder behind the bar full of guest stories, emails, pictures, letters, and like psychic feelings that people had. It's chocked full of or pictures, weird experiences, and so many other weird, it's weird. It's a very strange place. They have some of this document on their website as well. So here are the ones from the website. I'm just going to read them in their entirety as they are posted. These stories are just a few accounts of the supernatural experiences told by Darcy, the owner, written in 2013. And these are like, I would say like the big three. I think there's three. There's like big three stories from the place. So, it says, The Picture. I am the owner of Merchant's Cafe and Saloon. My story starts a week after getting the business. The building owner gave me a picture of a girl that worked upstairs in the brothel. I figured that since I was remodeling to the glory days, she would be perfect for the logo and watermarked menus. As I was just cleaning an empty space, I set the picture on the floor and leaned it against the wall. I sat on the floor in front of it and took a picture. 
The picture I took had a big flash in it, so I turned it off and retook the picture. The reflection of the flash was gone, but many things came into the picture that were not there. Instead of a black background, she was standing in front of a vanity of items on it, with items on it. Along with that, you can see a reflection of a lamp in the vanity of the mirror with a ladder close to her. There is also a couch and chair in the picture that I took, but not the original. Ask the bartender to see the photo that I took and you can compare it to the original hanging in the dining room. Don't worry, I have these pictures. I have pictures of these pictures, I should say. So, the next one, the doll. I was bartending when I saw an old man, about 70 years old, standing at the end of the bar. I was surprised to see him there because there were plenty of empty seats. When I approached him, he tenderly handed me a doll and asked me to put it behind the bar. I asked if he wanted me to hold it for him and he said no, it's for the little girl downstairs, the ghost. I asked him if he wanted me to take it down to her and he didn't skip a beat and replied no, she will be coming up to get it. I turned around and placed the doll behind the bar. I turned back around to ask him where he heard about this ghost but he was gone. I curiously walked out to the sidewalk and there was no sign of him there either. We don't know if the girl is happy to have the doll or not, but we figure we better not make her mad by moving it or touching it for that matter. Our bartender Michael has never touched her and he's worked here for years. She has a nice home on top of the safe with an offering to Otto, and you could never tell it by her face, but she seems pretty happy there. Otto. According to the medium on the TV show Dead Files, we have a very solid ghost named Otto. He was a manager there in the early 1900s and is continuing to quote-unquote manage. One of our cooks, Angela, hey, was telling me a disturbing story at closing about a spooky thing that happened in the kitchen earlier that week. While she was telling me the story, I was standing in front of a TV trying to turn it off with the remote. About, whoops, after about five minutes I of trying I gave up turned around and set the remote on the table when Angela was sitting where Angela was sitting and in efforts to lighten the mood I said I have an idea Otto will you turn off the TV please the TV instantly went off last week there were two big tugs on the back of my shirt when I was behind the bar there was no one there. 
I then told the two employees I was leaving. Ten minutes later, they called me and said as soon as I walked out, the picture that I had just purchased and hung crashed to the floor, shattering all over the entryway. I'm sure Otto was giving me his opinion of it. I also think he is responsible for the story about the wine in the next story. The wine. I was told by the two previous owners that ghosts guarded the safe and that if I put anything breakable on it, he would he would break it. Since I didn't believe in ghosts, I quickly forgot. I then found a wine rack that fit perfectly in the area right above the safe. I had it installed in September. Thanksgiving night, I closed and everything was fine. A completely normal night. The next morning, when the bartender came in, he found every single wine bottle had been thrown from the rack. He texted me a picture of the mess. So everything fell off and broke. The restaurant had not been broken into. Everything else was in just the same perfect order as the night before. When I replaced the wine, which was quite expensive to do, I decided on some precautionary measures just in case. I put a shot of whiskey on top of the safe and since I was wearing a skirt, I showed him my butt. <laughs> he have, we have not had a problem with him since. I do refill the whiskey when it evaporates. I mean, hey, work with what you got. There you go. Work with your ghosts. I love that. <laughs> I showed him my butt. It's so cute. I'm just really sad I didn't get a chance to meet Darcy. Um, I believe she still owns the place. Um, but like seeing her on Dead Files and reading some of her writings, she just seems like she would be such a sweet soul. I found an article that interviewed the bartender we had, Michael, at the bar and some of his experiences at the bar. When we had met him, he said that he had been working there for about eight years, so he definitely had some stories. Here are some of his encounters from that article. The lower lounge is said to be occupied by the spirits of two children who tragically died in the underground tunnels. Harris, his last name said their activity is generally playful once they made a mess in the lower bar area despite the space being padlocked like you go down there and the bar area it's almost like it almost looks like an old west jail how they have it all barred off and everything it's it was kind of weird i came down unlocked the door and everything I'd left on the bar was knocked over. Anything that could be tipped was tipped, he said. It was definitely like, okay, 
I see you, you're here. The street level bar is where Harris said he was truly frightened while working alone late one night. He rounded a table and saw a man. My first thought was, you forgot to lock the door tonight and you're getting robbed. So I threw the glasses down and turned around. I'm ready to fight and there's no one there. There's no one there, he said laughing. That is probably the scariest thing that has ever happened to me here. As for his own experiences, Harris said nothing has made him want to work anywhere else. And I felt like I should add this in because it's really cute. Our ghosts are like the spirits in Coco. The more you talk about them, the more you remember them, the more they like you. He said, I mean, that's what history is, right? It's remembering those dismal parts so you don't repeat them and celebrating the parts that are really great. You have to do that too. There was even an episode of The Dead Files filmed at the Birchant Cafe. Season 2, Episode 7. Michael kept quoting to us. Uh, it could be Episode 9. I can't remember exactly what he told me. I had to look it up. But it's one of those fun things. If you look it up on the Travel Channel, it's another thing. If you look it up on the Xfinity app, it's another thing. But it's always Season 2, somewhere in there. I think the episode is something like buried something. It says Seattle in the description. Anyways, for those that haven't seen The Dead Files, it's one of the Travel Channel paranormal shows. And I don't think it got canceled in the, the latest round of Travel Channel shows that were getting canceled with the merger that was happening. But I could be wrong. I don't think it was, though. I don't think it was on the chopping list. Anyways, the premise is there is a psychic, Amy Allen, that goes into a location as blind as possible and does a cold walkthrough of the location. After her walkthrough, she sits down with a sketch artist who tries to capture her description of who or what she saw. Sometimes she would get sketches of people, and sometimes scenes were always, like, weird to me. It's always a different sketch artist, so there's, like, no bias. While all this is happening, her partner, Steve Dushave, Dushave, who is a retired New York Police Department homicide detective, interviews the people that have called them in, local historians, and gets a really go good B-roll of him walking through some library archives, and of course, microfish spinning, so it really looks like he's putting in the work. I hope he does. I, I hope it's actual, like, him doing the research, at least part of it. At the end of the show, Amy and Steve sit down with the clients and discuss their findings. The big thing with the show is that Amy and Steve never talk during an investigation and don't reveal their findings to each other until the very end with the clients. 
They revealed the findings, and then Amy gives spiritual recommendations. Now, it's not my top choice for paranormal shows. I, I, I love Steve. Don't get me wrong. I really do. <laughs> he is quintessential New York. I adore him. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I have never been a big psychic on TV shows for investigating type of person because a lot of times you can't prove what they're saying. The thing is with any go show, any reality show really, you fake things. It, it would be really easy to fake it just because it's called reality show doesn't mean it's reality. So I don't know and I feel like a lot of times with psychics you can't prove what they're saying and things get really fantastical and um that that always kind of bugs me i'm like give me some evidence some history i love me some history obviously so i don't know if if you're unlike me and you like the more spiritual side of ghost hunting with a psychic uh definitely check out this show I like it because they do really good with the history. That That's the part I like. Because some of the stuff that they found, hopefully it's all real because I quoted quite a bit of it here, um, is really good. So, you know, there's that. So I always like to throw that out to everybody. Watch it. See what you think. Because I also like Amy. Two, I think she's adorable. I follow her on Twitter. <laughs> One of the very few. If you get onto, like, my Twitter, it's nothing but ghost people. But it's just, like, she would be so much fun to go do something with, I think. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. So, anyways. um, I will say, though, if you like psychics, this is, this is it, man. The, and this one also has a lot of the really weird encounters that you just don't get on any other show. So give it a chance. See what you think. Here's a quick synopsis of what happened or what was encountered at the Merchant's Cafe. Darcy, who is in the episode and why I think she would be really fun to hang out with. Darcy said that Guests have been pushed down the stairs, seen apparitions, and that she had seen apparitions. There had been seven owners in eight years before her. She had been getting really, really sick. Like, she left on a Friday night feeling sick and went to the doctor on Monday. It was discovered that she had bacterial pneumonia in her right lung. And the infection had gotten into her bloodstream. So it's like, oh, shit. She was in the hospital for five days and almost died. They have no idea how she contracted it. Contacted. No, I'm getting confused. How she got it. She was starting to believe that the spirits in the bird had something to do with it. 
One night, Darcy was fighting with her bar manager, Tony, and suddenly it got all misty in the bar. So they decided to leave. That was like the end of the fight. (laughs) They were just like, let's go. In the basement, a woman in her 50s was pushed off the steps. There was a guy coming out of the bathrooms who witnessed it and said it looked like she had been pushed down the stairs because she lurched forward. A woman has been seen going into the bathroom and closing the door. People will wait a while for her to come out, and when she doesn't, they try the door, and it opens, and there's no one in there. People a lot of times get their checks and leave after that. Darcy was concerned it was affecting business. As much as I loved the merchant, when we were there, the bathrooms were a bit disgusting. After watching the Dead Files episode, I think most of the staff just avoid going down there as much as possible. And honestly, I don't blame them. Matt, a bartender, never works downstairs. He had a glass slide along, away from him on the bar, like four feet down the bar, and crashed off the edge one night. He refused to work the basement bar and felt like he was losing out on money because of it. When we were there, you could go down and hang out in the sitting room, but it looked like the bar area had just kind of become storage. Dylan, the cook, has seen a gentleman about a dozen times in the kitchen. He's described as older, 5'8", button-down shirt, double-breasted jacket, and appears to be from the late 1800s, 1920s era. In the basement dining room one night, Dylan was down preparing for the evening. The waitress came down to see what specials he was going to run for the night. Almost as soon as she got off the stairs, a 60-pound garbage can came crashing down the stairs after her. That would have done some severe damage to her. That one scares me. According to Amy Allen, she believed there had been 20 to 30 deaths in the building. She encountered a guy with part of his face missing. He didn't like being interfered with, she said. Very his way or the highway type. He made Amy very nervous and full of agony. He moves through things and you would feel him if you were angry. He also mentioned missing a child and not being able to see his child. Toward the end, Amy decided he was just very protective of the bar against the other entities that were there. They decided with the research that this was Hink, the wrestler turned bartender. Amy also came across a religious woman who is described as scary. She liked to pick on sickly people, especially women, to make them sick and could eventually kill them. 
With the research, they decided it was Mary Schreiner. And I, I think I remember watching this episode way back when and being like, mm, I don't know about this. I guess, I don't know. You never know how somebody was in life, but I feel like there's a lot of disparaging remarks they make about people sometimes who are dead and gone with no evi- real evidence. And I think that's one of the things that always kind of gives me a mm, feeling about dead files. Anyways, Amy also describes these weird little cre- creatures like black, crabby, creepy things. She said that they stalk people and are constantly touching, grabbing, and giving people the chills. Amy believed that they died in a fire. They were trapped or stuck and couldn't get out, so they were bent on revenge against the living. They learn everything about a person and mess with them. That's another one I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. Amy recommended for the lady spirit for Darcy to find a medium with a background in counseling who was also some kind of healer to try to get her to pass on. If that didn't work, they would have to exercise her from the building. Darcy would also need a cleansing. She did recommend letting Hink stay since he, or Otto, that's what they called him in the, on the website, since he is just protecting the place. For the creatures, she recommended a funeral and then a blessing, and they should eventually move on. Darcy, according to the show, had not followed what Amy told her to do. Her health had gotten progressively worse, and she was looking for a priest to do an exorcism. I'm going to assume she got it taken care of because the dead files were there in 2013, and I believe she's still the owner. I think. I think so. Not 100% sure. I remember the bartender talking about her, so I think so. One of my favorite things in the binder of hauntings is how many other psychics and parapsychologists write to the Merchant Cafe saying how wrong Amy Allen was. It it was so funny. Like, the, the names, the Charles and John Osner, there's this quote-unquote parapsychology guy that made a numbered list of all the things she got wrong and that was one of them or I guess the dead files not her in particular and unfortunately most of this is directed at Amy but yeah that was that was a thing I remember that being in there and being like really it's not the worst it's not that big of a mistake but yeah this is really interesting It, it was like a lot of like armchair investigators situation in this binder. The biggest complaint seems to be about the creatures in the basement. There's this one letter that this woman is absolutely convinced 
that the things in the basement are demons and the priest that they had on the episode isn't a good priest and they really need her services to come in and take care of things. I don't know if they ever contacted her. I have a feeling they did it, so I guess it will just be another mystery of the Merchant Cafe. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. My Haunted Life podcast is written, researched, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Angela Hartshorn. If you are interested in more pictures, info, and my sources, make sure to check out the Patreon page. It's like your one-stop shop for everything My Haunted Life. A lot of the stuff is free, but, you know, you could help support the show for as little as $2 a month. And I definitely think in the off season, I'll be doing a couple episodes for my Patreon subscribers. You can also check out the website if you just want a nice, simple listen at myhauntedlifepodcast.com All the web, all the episodes are there. And if you have information about today's episodes you want to tell me about or a ghost story to share Email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can write me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all at myhauntedlifepodcast. I got all the socials there. While you're there, please like and follow and comment. It honestly makes my day. Oh, and the YouTube! The YouTube is My Haunted Life Podcast. I try to keep everything simple. Music is by Ghost Stories Incorporated. And that's it for this show. I'll see you guys all next week. Last episode of the season on My Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay spooky.